hey, look, my calendar just popped up a notification. Apparently, we are supposed to be doing an AT Banter episode with... <gasps> who are we doing it with, Brian? Dave Williams. Dave no. Williams. Sorry, we're not, we're not keeping Braille. you up, are we, Rob? <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Rob No, and I am joined by Steve Barkley. Good day. And Ryan Flurry. Hey. Who looks rather sleepy and grumpy. <laughs> I think we're I think we're all sleepy and grumpy. It's early. <laughs> yeah, no, this is we've been actually looking forward to this episode for a while because we've been we've been uh, anxious to talk to uh the people from Bristol Braille, which is where uh Mr. Dave Williams is from, who we're talking to today. Because uh, they are in the midst of developing, what are they developing, Ryan? Tell the fine folks. Uh, I think it's the first full-page Braille display. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely the cheapest by yeah. by a long shot. Yeah, I mean that's that's the their big selling point is that it's they're able to to produce these at a at a, at a lower cost that it's going to make them actually affordable. So this could really change the face of things if if uh, it works as intended, as intended. Well, Steve will be at CSUN next week, and he'll be able to put his hands on it and take a look at it. Yep. Are these guys going to be there? Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. Hey, yeah. look at that. Look at us planning. Planning stuff. This episode, bef- the week before CSUN? Go figure. <laughs> what? Uh, did you guys see this article uh, over the weekend about uh, the liberals um, not funding the CNIB? Um, what, did, what do you call it? The uh, their their uh, library uh, audio production services. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then so th- that story runs, and then five hours later, <laughs> uh, an update comes down the pipe where they are apparently funding it. Uh, what do you think that's about? Oh, it was all just a big misunderstanding. <laughs> no, <Of course>. no. <laughs> no, I think the outcry from the community was huge, and you know they did a mo- did an about face. Yeah, I believe that's probably what happened. In in just five hours, though, I mean, oh, it wouldn't take long with social media. I suppose. So really, I mean, you think you think the problem is? You, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they do not want to fund this. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if you read the article in Global, who posted it, but they were saying that the two point one or two point three million dollars for the creation of the audio books or the alternative access books is. I think less than half of what it cost Ottawa to build the ice rink on Parliament Hill. It's <laughs> like, yeah, mean, priorities, you the, right? Well, okay. You mean the temporary ice yes. rink? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, wait. So can someone explain what exactly this is that they're funding? Like, what does the CNIB do and, and what what is this all about? Well, CNIB no longer operates the audiobook library. That's, that's now CELA. Um, but what CNIB still does do is produce audiobooks. Uh, 
So they have readers. They go in. They read stuff. It gets mastered. They produce the audiobook. They also do the same thing with um, um, news magazines, um, various magazines, I believe. Um, so they're actually the content creator for stuff that ends up going out to uh, the SELA library. Right. And probably other libraries around the world, too. So if you don't have people making the content, where does it come from? Is it just audiobooks that they do, or are they, are they doing like uh, large print and, and Braille stuff as well? I'm not entirely clear on that. I don't know that they do Braille production anymore. Um, I, I believe it's just audio. Okay. But I could be wrong on that point. So would they would they basically go in and do audiobooks for for titles that say don't already have like a, like the publisher hasn't produced a audiobook for it? Because, you know, like a lot of popular, popular... Yeah, I would think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where, you know, we want to get somebody on to talk about the Marrakesh Treaty as well, right? Where we can start yeah. sharing books around the world. Um, you know, create it once and share it with everybody. It really lower the cost of audio production. And they were saying in that article, I think only 7% of the books in print are available in alternative formats. So there's a lot of work to be done, you know. Well, and that strikes me as, as the interesting thing about this is that, you know, 2.5 million a year to, to be doing that, that doesn't seem to me to be very much. Mm -hmm. Like when you think of all the, all, the t all the book titles and stuff out there that, that needs to be put into alternate formats, um, you know, uh, that, that's a drop in the bucket. Well, and I think that's where, you know, Bookshare does a really great job is because, that you know, they scan everything in and you synthesize voices to, to read the text. So, you know, once all the proofreading is done, it's a lot easier and I think faster to produce an audio book with text-to-speech than it is a human narration. Yeah, that's true. I think most people would probably prefer to listen to a recorded human voice versus synthesized. No. Oh, absolutely. I definitely do. Oh, yeah. sure. I mean, if, you, if you're listening to a book for, for 10, 12 hours, uh, yeah. God, can you imagine listening to a synthesized voice for that long? I mean, well, and some of the synthesized voices are getting really good. You know, but well, you, sure. you know, like with AI and stuff now, like it's getting really good. Well, it's certainly getting better, but I mean, I still think that uh, at the end of the day, I mean, um, you're listening to a human voice, you're just going to retain more. It's going to be a, a more, more, more pleasant experience overall. And, and in particular, when you're, when you're talking about fiction and, you know, you've got multiple characters, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a good voice actor will, oh, for sure. will allow you to distinguish what character is talking at yeah. any given time. And it brings the book alive. It, it really does. Yeah. You know, I... I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks when I'm on the road, and uh, uh, the difference between a good and a bad narrator mm -hmm. is 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 really huge. You know, you get a yeah. you get a book with a bad narrator, and it's like mm -hmm. you're just snoozing through the thing. But you know, I'm listening to uh, the Dresden Files right now uh, that are um, narrated by uh, James Marstairs. You know, he's a mm -hmm. he's the mm -hmm. actor who played Spike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, amongst other things. But um, he's just such a terrific voice talent. He's just so good. Um, it, it really does bring those books alive. Hmm. Yeah, but do you think that this... So to go back to, to the, the funding aspect of this, 
do you guys feel like this is writing on the wall that that this is just something that that this government does not want to pay for and they're sort of trying to back out of this and and this whole um outrage i mean it it was a bit of a test right i mean it could it couldn't have been an accident you don't just leave something out of your budget by accident right yeah, I, I think that um, they were they were yeah. testing the waters. Well, it's saying, interesting because if nobody because had, if there had been no pushback, they would have just. It makes you wonder though how serious this government is about alternative formats. If you read the article um, and the post from Diane Bergeron, who two weeks before had asked for the budget to be in an alternative format, and the government's mandated to do it, and they never provided it for her. That's right. Is it just that? Oops, we we forgot. Or is it, yeah, we just don't care? Yeah, I mean, you know? who knows? I mean, yeah. that's right. I, I, I did notice that in the article, too. And that's that's a big enough deal, too, because, yeah. you know, they're they're mandated to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it even, I mean, it just does, it doesn't seem like it's even funded enough to begin with. And now no, they're not. they're trying to step it back even more to not even pay for it. And, you know, the one of the subsequent articles that I was reading, you know, was was talking about a memo that that Global got a hold of that essentially said that the government was really pushing the CNIB to find alternate sources of of funding for this program. You know, they do they do not want to pay for this. And yeah, like there's just little pockets of two point five million dollars <laughs> sitting about. Plus, you know, here's the other thing, too. Is, shouldn't this be the responsibility of the National Library of Canada? Yes. Shouldn't it? I Why mean, isn't it just like any other public library? Yeah, know? particularly for Canadian content. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if we need Canadian content in audiobook, then, you know, who's, whose responsibility should that be? Should it be the National Blindness Agency's job? You know, because alternative format materials, blind users are a minority mm-hmm. um, uh, usage group. The majority usage group is uh, mainstream listeners and people with print disabilities, right? Which are much bigger populations, right? So why does this fall to CNIB in the first place? Prim- yeah, no, it's, that, that's it's primarily question. because nobody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so somebody needs to take a leadership role here, and it should be the federal government. Yeah, I agree. Well. Thank goodness we have Audible. <laughs> yeah, Audible. Shout yeah, but, out to Audible. Yeah, but really, I mean, you think about it. I mean, libraries are are there for a reason. Libraries yeah. are, are there so people can access, uh, you know, books for free. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't matter if you're, you can see or you're visually impaired or anything else. Like, it's supposed to be for everybody. And there's supposed to be formats that everybody can access. That's the whole point of of everything and so you know the fact that there's a there there is this minority that is shut out of that uh it's just, it's just not right and it's certainly certainly not right that uh they're trying to remove the funding from a program that gives them you know at least a chunk of material right like you know the 2.5 million a year is not going to allow them to to produce audio materials or alternate formats for every single book out there. No, it's going to be a small portion. I don't know what that number is, but I would be shocked if it's over 10% of, 
of the books available are actually available in alternate formats. Oh, I'd be surprised if oh. it was even close I to think, that. Yeah, I think they said it was like 7%. Yeah, I mean, so you there know, you go. Like, so it'd be nice on. if a book, bef- before a book goes to print, if there was actually an audio version that got released at the same time. You yeah, know? yeah, so. In a perfect world. Indeed. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, so hey. Hey. What's going on? Uh, well, you know what? What are we doing today? Well, wait, I think we've already kind of hinted what we're we, doing. We did, and then mm-hmm. I coughed my ass off through it. So, But, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking here in a moment to Dave Williams, who is with Bristol Braille, who are the makers of the Canute, which we uh, talked a little bit about earlier. They're going to be at CSUN next week, and uh, hopefully, probably unveiling a prototype of this uh, multi-line Braille display. So uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see what he can tell us about some of the technology that is supposedly going to make this thing um, a lot more affordable than most Braille displays out there. And what is a canute? It's when you spell canoe wrong. <laughs> it's, <laughs> is it supposed to be something? I don't know. Oh, ask. Yeah, you will. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? I'm really good. You can hear me okay then? Yeah, she's can good. hear you good. Yeah. Loud, loud, loud and, clear. and clear. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for... Uh, for What time is it over there right now? Uh, it is actually four in the afternoon. I hadn't realized that um, Pacific uh, time went forward early. So we don't actually set our clocks uh, until, I think, the end of the month. Oh. So I think you guys went forward before us so i was figuring an eight hour time difference when actually it's seven so just as well i checked <laughs> <laughs> these time zones are so complicated they are i know i know and i thought i'd left that all behind like when i used to do um acb radio you know it's like a constant thing because you have people in the northern hemisphere moving their clocks one way and then people in the southern hemisphere doing it the other way you know and <laughs> here i was in blighty you know so yeah got it in the end um, awesome. Well, listen, uh, why don't we start with uh, you telling us a little bit about, uh, let's jump right to the Canute, because um, we're kind of fascinated with, with it. Um, tell us a little bit about the Canute, how long it's been in development, and what is going to set it apart from other Braille displays that are out there now? Okay, so hello, I'm Dave Williams. Thanks very much for having me uh, along <laughs> on the podcast. And uh, let's uh, talk about Canute. And Canute is a new type of Braille device. It's a new class of Braille device. Uh, I'm not sure it's entirely accurate to call it a Braille display because it works a little bit uh, differently. We call it a Braille e-reader. So um, it's about the size of a large laptop. Uh, if you think of like a 15-inch you know, notebook computer, uh, and it's a tabletop device, uh, so you put it on your desk and you, you have it plugged in. And Canute will show 360 cells of Braille. So that's nine lines, each with 40 cells. And Canute is designed as a standalone device. So you plug in an SD card uh, with your formatted Braille file on there, and it can be shown in Braille. And the uh, remarkable thing, I think, about Canute is the fact that the formatting is conveyed to the reader. So when you read from a regular Braille display, 
uh, it's kind of like you're reading from a from a ruler or a tape measure or something else that's linear. Um, and so you don't really have this sense of, of space, this uh, the shape of, of a paragraph, for example, and, and we'll talk about some of the examples of where uh, multi-line braille is important. So, so that's the real sort of unique selling point of of Canute is that it's a multi-line um, braille e-reader that is initially designed to be used standalone. It has been in development for quite a long time. Um, Ed Rogers, who uh, started Bristol Bra Braille Technology back in around, I think, 2012, uh, he'd been working on various Braille projects for, for a number of years, trying to come up with a new Braille technology, because obviously the current uh, Braille displays that we have are all based around the same piezoelectric technology, uh, which is tried and tested and works well and has been around for a very long time um but ed felt like there hadn't been much in the way of innovation in this space and that there needed to be something new something lower cost uh and so he started work um experimenting with different uh types of braille display and very quickly he realized that he couldn't do this on his own um he needed blind people to be involved in uh, testing and design. Uh, so spun out of Bristol Braille Technology, we have a group we call the Braillists, and this is a, uh, a community of around 700 uh, people now, uh, all of whom are passionate about the value of, of Braille. Uh, so I hope that that uh, answers your questions, and I'm sure we can we can dig into that in a bit more detail. Okay. Well, why don't we why don't we talk about uh, the the technology behind the the Braille itself? What 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 are you doing differently? What is this new technology? Okay, so um, Canute uses, um, um, I, I suppose you, you, you might describe it as a, as a kind of an old fashioned um, approach um, in that um, we realize that eventually we will have smart materials that can, can change shape. I don't know if you guys have heard of graphene, uh, which is a, a smart material. And eventually, you know, we'll have something as thin as an iPad or, or, or thinner that, that will be able to form um, braille dots. But that technology is still uh, some way off. So the technology that we have now is the piezoelectric um, uh, ceramic that is used to make the current line of braille displays where each individual pin is, is actuated. So um, for a braille cell, you need uh, six or, or, or eight pins um, to lift up and down. And each of those is, is actuated individually um, and that can increase the number of parts that you need and it can push the uh, the cost up so the way the commute works is if you imagine a six dot braille cell uh, and you divide that in half so you think of three dots on the left and three dots on the right the dots that you need for each half of that braille cell are made by rotating a disc um, in the um, sort of vertical plane, as it were. So if you think of a disc um, that is almost, I suppose, octagonal, um, if you turn that disc, you can present um, the dots that you need. So um, rather than um, actuating an individual pin, um, the Canute uh, actuates half, half the cell at a, at a time. So this is why we call it um, an e-reader rather than a display, because the time it takes to do that is slower than um, a piezoelectric um, display. So showing something like a flashing cursor, for example, isn't really 
practical on Canute. But what you can do uh, is that you can put rows of these discs together. And so it uses what I describe as a kind of rotors and motors um, approach um, to presenting the, uh, the Braille. So uh, it means that you can show nine lines or, or more lines even. I think nine we found was kind of like a, a sweet spot because you could take a full page of Braille and you could split it into three without making the machine too huge and too uh, heavy. Um, and we felt that that nine lines was was enough to really give you the benefit of the of the multi-line nature of the braille. So that's that's how the technology is is different. So it's um, you know it's using uh, uh, injection molded parts. Um, the whole project, by the way, started out of the whole maker movement. So uh, Canute is uh, has been developed in a a community workshop. Um, and it is uh, Bristol Braille Technology, the developer of Canute, is actually a community interest company, which means that uh, any money that they make has to be reinvested. There are no you know, shareholders who are going to be walking away with, with bonuses or, or, or anything like that. So this really is about um, grassroots Braille technology. Well, that sounds totally un-American. <laughs> well, you can say that because you're in Canada. <laughs> That's right. So, was was that the trickiest part of of like sort of cracking that, like doing doing the 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 braille dots a different way? Was that was that the really hard nut to crack when you were developing I, I, it? Yeah, I, th I think the the really hard nut to crack is is to get the uh, the accuracy right because. Uh, as we know, uh, when you read Braille, one dot out of place can make all the difference, you know, uh, and particularly when you're working, you know, in a technical subject, maybe uh, you know, math or music. So one dot, just one dot. So, so a sighted person can cope if, if a pixel, you know, goes out. It's annoying, but they can still read, you know, what's on their screen if one pixel doesn't work. Whereas, um, you know, the impact of a, of a dot not being in the right place so so the the really tough part i think has been uh getting the the accuracy right getting the tolerances uh for the movement of the of the parts uh, to make sure that they're in the right place at the right time uh i think that's been the the technical challenge um but more sort of socially just getting people used to the idea that there is a different way of doing things you know one of the things that that the bristol braille say is that they want a design that is more like a, a bicycle in that it's more locally um, repairable. You know, we've, we, we're, we're all aware of, of, of Braille companies that have, that have disappeared and then users are left with equipment that they can't get repaired anywhere. You know, they can't get um, fixed or warranties can't be honored and, and that sort of thing. Um, and the uh, whole idea of this, this community interest company is to say, Hey, look, we're going to put the software on GitHub so people can get involved in, in hacking away at, at that and coming up with new uh, use cases and features and functionality. Um, and then we're also, you know, going to make it easy so that if something happens to your machine, you can go into a community workshop locally um, and it's, you know, and it's fairly simple to, to get it repaired. You might need to order like a couple of parts or whatever, um, but it's it's not something where you've got to send it back to china to get it fixed has it does it surprise you that that there really hasn't 
been anybody else that's that's been sort of thinking outside the box in terms of this? I mean, it, it seems to me that the industry is is still very much they're, they're very much invested in the traditional Braille technology that's that's kept things like Braille displays very expensive. Um, it, does it surprise you that that nobody else is is working on something like this? Well, well, they are. I mean, um, the um, the transforming Braille group uh, famously was the work of eleven blindness organisations coming together uh, to evaluate around sixty projects um, to develop a new type of, of, of Braille display. So, uh, so there, ha there has been um, uh, a lot, and there continues to be um, a lot of activity in this area. I think the thing that we're all aware of is that this area is is littered with with broken promises that we keep hearing about. Mm -hmm. You know, new and innovative Braille products that are just around the corner uh, and then it sort of goes quiet for a bit you know and and, and we don't hear anything so uh, the thing that um, really excited me about uh, Canute and Bristol Braille technology was their willingness to really openly engage uh, with the community you know quite early on in in the prototyping cycles I was able to borrow a unit you know have it at home for a few weeks in my dining room try it out break it you know figure out what worked what 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 didn't work and, and feed that back in it you know in a very open way so so the the brailleists the community organization that i mentioned that started off as a, a sort of a test testing group a focus group you know we have a, a very active forum where we talk about all kinds of things not just canoe but um you know often people do talk about the the canoe and, and, and what's new with that so you're right about um we, we we need more people using braille there are issues around braille literacy i don't think that's just about the, the cost of the technology i mean the cost of the technology is one piece of it um, there is a, a wider perception that that somehow um, Braille is is had its day, um, and um, you know if you ask sighted people, they're not even sure whether blind people still use Braille anymore. You know that's why it's so important when people like Stevie Wonder get up at the Grammys as he did a couple of years ago and read Ed Sheeran's um, Grammy Award to him in you know in Braille, right. um, or or if somebody's seen using Braille in the media, it's so important um, to uh, show that because. Um, uh, there, there, there is this, there is this uh, a problem there, um, and and we all, uh, those of us who use Braille or who are passionate about Braille, we need, we need, we need to sell Braille um, to to a wider audience to say, hey, this is why we still need it. This is why it's still important because it's the difference between reading for yourself or being read to. It's the difference between you reading your own kid's bedtime story or having an actor um, do that for you on an, on an audio book. You know, it's the difference between uh, being able to read your own notes. I mean, I found it very distracting just then. I, I had a voice in my in my ear and I found that very distracting to keep talking while I've got other things talking at me. The, you know, the joke I often make is if I'm not reading Braille on a train, I'm likely to miss the, um, the, the sandwich trolley as it goes trundling by, you know, because if I've got my headphones in, I've no idea what's... Uh, what's going on uh, around me and you can of course get bone conduction uh, headphones and that maybe works for some people but we know that this link exists between uh, braille literacy and the employability and the success mm -hmm. and independence of of blind people and so for me i think we need to have uh, more and different types of, of braille equipment you know the existing uh, products that we're all familiar with um, are great uh, and they represent one model um, for um, producing um, braille products but 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 why can't other other models work you know um, there are all kinds of uh, Kickstarter and crowdfunded uh, campaigns for um, technology um, products uh, 
you know, that are, that are not Braille um, and, and in the mainstream as well, that are, that are kind of more socially driven because there's a need there to, to, to solve a particular uh, problem. Um, and Bristol Braille started out wanting to, to solve the, the price problem, but then they very quickly realized that there's also this multi-line problem as well, that we, we, we haven't got uh, any multi-line uh, Braille displays out there. So how do you show um, a table? Um, how do you show music that's like multi-part harmony? Um, you know, something like a, a numbers, uh, like a, a Sudoku. Um, all, of, all of these things just make much less sense on a, on a single line braille display and and we end up falling back to to paper which is which is fine but it's 2018 isn't it and, and we've yeah. got to... so can you describe the buttons that are on the canute and also the formats that are supported yeah absolutely so um right out of the box i would just want to say that the focus has been on making the the braille display so you're not going to find web browsers and emails and all that kind of stuff it is designed as a braille reader so you plug in an sd card uh, containing either a braille formatted file or a pef a pf uh, which is a portable embosser formatted file so that's that's less well known brf uh, is is the main format i expect people will use and then down the line as i say the software is is open so i would hope that you know more formats can be added as we as we go along um the unit itself um is about 360 uh, millimeters across so about 36 centimeters across uh you guys work in centimeters yeah yes about half yeah, the time okay. <laughs> yeah by uh, around 18 uh from front to back uh, and about 40 centimeters, uh, sorry, millimeters, sorry, uh, thick. So, so like a large a sort of a, you know, I say, I think a 15 inch laptop is, is a, is a good, um, comparison. Um, and then on the, uh, top face of the canoe, you have your, your nine lines of braille. Um, and then next to each line, uh, there is a button, um, and that is a selection button. So if you're in a menu, for example, and you have a list of, uh, of items, uh, then you can press the button that corresponds to that that menu item. So you might be in the library, for example, where it lists all the books that are on your uh, SD card, uh, and then you press one of the buttons to select the the title that you wish to uh, to open. Uh, and when you do that, um, the Canute returns you to your previous reading position. It automatically remembers your place. Uh, um, um, and then below the uh, the Braille line, there are three uh kind of large uh buttons so there's a there's a central button which is kind of like an okay um and then you've got a large button to pan forward and a large button to pan back and when you pan forward a new page will load and as the page loads it shows the first line uh and then additional lines are, are at so you start reading the first line as the the other lines are are populated so i would say um it takes probably half a second for, for a line of braille to be shown. So the first line is shown and you start reading that. And by the time you've read the first line, the second line is there. Uh, and then you continue reading down. Uh, and then there's one additional button on the top face, which is which is a help button. So from anywhere in the um, in the canute, whether you're reading a book, whether you're in the library or whether you're in the sort of system menu, uh, you press the help button and it will give you um, context uh, sensitive help about your current uh, your current position. Uh, and then the only other controls really to speak of is uh, is just on the on the back. There's a there's an on off switch. 
So yep. what's the, the software that runs it? Is It's open source, is that right? That's that's right, yeah, that's right. So um, so inside the Canute, we've got a, um, a, a fairly sort of low power, low cost uh, computer in the, uh, the Raspberry Pi. Are you guys familiar with, with yep. Raspberry Pi? Yeah, um, and uh, so the software that is that is running underneath is um, is, is is kind of Linux based. But um, to be honest, the user doesn't really see any of that. Um, you just get um, you know a list of books um, or a list of bookmarks, or um, you know there are some uh, shutdown and and you know basic sort of system type menu items. So. You, you don't really um, see the, the, the operating system. You're not really interacting with that. Now, obviously, the operating system is interesting for a developer um, who perhaps wants to add functionality. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you wanted to develop a, a calendar app, for example, because obviously you've got multiple lines of Braille, so you could show you know, a whole month of a, of a, of a calendar. Um, you, you could go on to um, GitHub, um, and you could find Canute on there. And uh, I can, you know, I can send the the link so we can put that in the show notes. Sure. Uh, and then people can get involved in um, in developing the software if they want to. Now, and then that was, I'm assuming that that, you know, especially given, you know, the community aspect of, of the development. I mean, obviously, that was uh, an intentional decision on, on, on Bristol Rails part to to make that open source, right? Abs- absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Um, because... Um, you know, they know they don't have all the answers to, to all the possible use cases. Um, and, you know, they want people to, to customize it, to, to make it their own, uh, but also recognizing that, you know, most people aren't software developers. So there needs to be a basic proposition that, that just works as, you know, a Braille e-reader. Right. But I mean, anything open source, though, it always adds to the, the power of any given device because it, you know, the, the customization options are just open to the community. And, you know, nine times out of 10, uh, you're always going to find somebody who's going to write something for uh, the device that that nobody else has thought of. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, you you um, access to the community and, and the suddenly the number of possibilities are, are you know exponentially greater than just a couple of people sitting in a room saying well why don't we make you do this or <laughs> that's right yeah. now uh, where are you guys in the development are you guys in the final sort of you know prototype phase yep. or yep yep pretty much yeah so um, the aim is um, we expect to have a, a release product um, in the second half of, of 2018. Um, as you know, with product development, you know, dates can slip. And sure. so I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to, to, to name a, a, a date. Um, but we are certainly in the final testing phase, uh, which um, starts at, um, at CSUN um, this year. Uh, and we are looking for partners to test and also uh, to discuss uh, distribution uh, with, with partners as well. So, so, so that's where we're at. Um, we are now engaged with um, you know, a factory because obviously we're not going to make all of these in a community workshop. Uh, so we're now working with, um, uh, with a factory uh, who are you know, setting up the production lines for the, for the parts that, that we need and to do the, um, to do the assembly. Uh, and so we've got the first batch of those um, pretty soon, and we're looking for test partners. Another another question that I just thought of: um, 
does how much um, onboard storage does it have? Like, can you can you are you able to store uh, books and stuff on the unit, or does it does it take a, an SD card or? Yeah, so you um, can put in an SD card. Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody about this uh, about this today. Actually, what is the the maximum capacity SD card um, that it will support? Uh, and that question is 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 still with the engineers. But uh, I, I think we can reasonably expect that you could put a 32 gigabyte um, SD card in there, and that's a lot of Braille. You know, if you yeah. think how how small Braille files are. Um, when you take a you know a PDF or a Word document and you you turn that into Braille, it's you know it's better than zipping it up, isn't it? It's uh, the compression is amazing sometimes, uh, and so yeah, the idea is that you put your your SD card in, uh, and then any books that are on the SD card are uh, imported to the the internal library, which which would also be. Um, which would also be about 32 gigabytes, I would expect. But don't don't hold me to that. But that's my expectation. I mean, but still, I mean, that's that. You're right. That is an incredibly amount of, of files and books that that could be stored just on one on one SD card. So that's right. And you're not sharing that space. So it's not like on your tablet or your phone where you're sharing that space with other software, with images, with video, with music. You know, this is a book reader. So. Uh, the only files that you're going to be putting on here are um, are Braille files. Now, in terms of, of cost, uh, can you give, you know, and I'm sure none of this is, is, is finalized, but can you give us an idea of uh, like what what is comparable to? Yeah. So so we're, we're hoping that the uh, well, we're expecting that the price uh, is going to be somewhere around the price of an iPad Pro. Okay. Um, so about nine nine five pounds British pounds, uh, but again, uh, that's not completely signed off at this this point. Um, but that's where we're we're kind of aiming. So I guess in US dollars, that that at the moment because the exchange with the whole Brexit thing, right? The, the exchange rate's <laughs> been crazy the last couple of years. So um, at the moment, as we record this, the uh, the exchange rate, I think it's I think it's around one point four. I want to say. Um, so about $1,400 US, but it really depends on, you know, the conversations also that we have with, with distributors, um, and, and the demand. Um, but that's the kind of price point for a 360 cell, uh, Braille. Wow. So, uh, so I think very, um, you know, very low cost really when you, when you consider, you know, you can still spend maybe $10,000 on an 80 cell, um, Braille display. Yeah, absolutely. I'm busy looking up the exchange rate between Canadian and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you tell me what you got there because uh, it's it you know it changes so. Um, you know, I was we were in uh, New York about eighteen months ago, and um, at that point I was getting like one eighteen or something to the pound, which was really low for us when it used to be up, you know, one fifty, one sixty back in the day. Yeah, one one pound is a buck seventy eight Canadian right now. Okay, so so you'd be looking at about eighteen hundred Canadian dollars. Yeah. Um, but again, that you know, that's an approximate figure. That's not an absolute. Um, that's not. A, I'm not giving you a quote there. Mm -hmm. But that's still. I mean, eighteen hundred dollars is what you would pay for a twenty cell Braille display, typically. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. Well, or even a fourteen cell Braille display. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, for sure. Now, are there, are there are there plans for other 
other designs like once once the canoe is finished um are, are there are there thoughts that you guys might develop sort of some some um like uh different different models of the same technology is there a, is there a canoodle on the back burner or something? <laughs> yeah 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 well you know somebody once told me you know you don't talk about next year's model this year Fair but um, <laughs> um the um look the, the 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 basic premise is that for the first time we are going to be able to read um, multi-line braille which has all kinds of implications for uh, education and engineering mm -hmm. Uh, and even leisure reading. And, and, you know, we should certainly talk about some of that. I think, um, obviously, we need to get the product out there and we need to, to hear feedback from people about what it is, um, you know, what, what works well and, and, and what people like. Um, I hope that the, um, the software uh, would progress to the point where we would have some onboard translation. So then you can throw, you know, maybe a Word document or um, a PDF or an EPUB or something on there and it could be translated into braille without you having to prepare the um the braille on your computer because we've got we've, well, we've got two kind of flavors of braille at the moment we've got what um some people call quick and dirty braille uh which is where you basically just take a stream of text and you you translate it on the fly uh, into braille and that can be largely automated uh, and you can get tools like um, Center Braille, I like quite a lot. Um, and, and with Center Braille, you can just, you know, right click on, a, on an EPUB in Windows and uh, literally choose Center Braille and it creates a Braille file in the same folder, uh, which you can then put onto your, your Braille device and, and go. Um, when you've got multiple lines, the formatting becomes more interesting and more important because you don't just want a big block of nine lines of braille like there's there's not a massive benefit to to having nine lines um i mean i find if i can start reading the next line while my first hand is still reading the previous line it helps my reading fluency so so maybe there is but i think where where the canute really shines is in taking a professionally formatted uh, braille file so something that has been produced by a braille a publishing house or by a, um, a library or perhaps it's something that somebody's made in Braille Blaster or Duxbury where they've really taken the time and the trouble to lay out the text in the same way that a sighted person um, would expect their print to also be you know formatted and you might have a centered heading and you can feel where the next paragraph starts you know, when you're reading from um, a small braille display, as I do a lot, by the way, um, you don't really know when you're in the middle of the text how far you've got to go, where the next paragraph starts. Uh, if you wanted to skip back up a couple of lines, then get back, it can feel a bit arduous. Whereas you've got multiple lines, you can just keep one hand there and then move move the other hand. Um, so I hope that we can, we can get to a point where we can maybe take a file with a table in it um, and then process that on on the canoe um, down the road. So I think we would hope hope for software uh, improvements. Um, right now, um, Canute is a tabletop device, um, and you know you would set it up in the same way that you would set up a printer or an embosser. You know you'd find somewhere that you that you want to keep it and, and plug it in. Um, you know maybe down the road uh, we might have a more portable option. Um, I think that's something that people would would like. So, uh, so that so there there are ideas, um, but I think we put those ideas 
to the back and on hold and wait and see what the response is to the original Canute 360. Um, to sort of uh, go back a little bit and talk about the development of the Canute, can you, because because from what I understand, it, it, you're, it's very much community driven. Um, you guys really worked with with a, a blindness community um, through through each stage of the development. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about that and and what sort of the the real advantages has have been by doing that? Yeah. So. Um I, uh, about three years ago, four years ago, uh, when I first heard about um, Bristol Braille technology um, and that they had a prototype of a, um, of a Braille device and they were looking for um, feedback. So I went down to Bristol, which is uh, about an hour and a half on the train from me. I'm, I'm in Worcester. Um, and so I, I went down there, you know, and, uh, and, and, and met the developers um, and they were really engaged and really interested in what we sort of blind people wanted to 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 say in terms of in terms of feedback so uh things like the position um and the size of the of the buttons initially the buttons were quite a long way from the uh, braille cells um and you know the view was that uh, of, of um, the blind uh, users that actually you need to put the braille uh, the buttons quite close to the braille cells i think the the uh, engineers initially thought that you know the buttons might get pressed inadvertently if they were too close to the braille cells um but we were like well no we're, we're used to that you know we're used to having buttons quite close to the braille cells also there's there's some things around hand position so when you're reading the bottom line of the nine lines so you're coming to the end of the current page um we want panning buttons in places where our fingers naturally fall or, or in the case of the canoe where our thumbs are so so the panning buttons moved to the to the front edge um so that they're in a very um, natural position uh something else quite early on uh i think we talked about uh, was the requirement for brf because uh brf is the standard for for braille files you know that's the the, the file format that you would get from any braille translation software um, or you would get from a from a library if you're borrowing a braille file. So, so initially, Canute was working with um, PEF, which is the portable embosser format, um, and that's a, a kind of a. It's not widely known, but that's the format that that goes to your embosser when you're making hard copy um, braille. Um, and we were, as a community, very adamant that look, this has to have BRF as well. You know, um, so. Um, something else that we that we are, are, are looking at as, as a community is how do we make this work with the other technologies in our in our lives? How do we make it work with with screen readers? Because screen readers obviously have been designed to work with single line Braille displays. So Braille is is sent in a very linear way out to your your Braille display. There's no concept of you know, up, down, and and so on. Right. It's just backwards and forwards through a, a, a stream of, of, of content. So, um, we, you know, we need to find a friendly, um, you know, script developer or a, or, or even an MVDA uh, add-in uh, writer um, to maybe try and do something. But actually, it's the core of the screen reader where where we we, we need to perhaps um have some conversations because i say the, the screen readers are designed to deliver information in a very a very linear way and we have had some fruitful conversations actually with um with google um and uh, in chrome os 
um, they have started thinking about multi-line Braille um, very early on. Um, so I'm not sure exactly where we're at with that right now, um, but um, yeah, making sure that those kinds of issues are, are on the radar, I think, is, has been beneficial. Um, and then every so often when Bristol Braille have a new uh, prototype that they that they want to test, then, uh, you know, we're invited in and um, so we'll, why didn't you do that bit? And, you know, and, and that they will explain, you know, and help us understand some of the technical challenges. And we can also describe, you know, what the experience is of, of reading Braille. And then to take it to the sort of the next level, uh, we have helped in facilitating trials of Canute into uh, education. So we have worked with uh, New College Worcester, uh, which is a school for um, blind and partially sighted uh, kids here in the UK. Uh, they've been very long established, 150 years. Uh, they have a lot of uh, expertise. And while, you know, 96% of, of students go in, you know, through a, a mainstream inclusive setting, um, New College Worcester still, still exists um, and they still teach Braille. Um, so we've had Canute, um, you know, trialed in that school um, and they've given us feedback, which is then fed back into the into the development process. So so that's where working with with the blind community um, at a grassroots level is, has meant that we can, you know, we can reach out in all kinds of directions. We can look at the minutiae of, of the sort of the usability of it. But then also who else do, you know, does Bristol Braille need to be talking with? Yeah, and speaking of education, I mean, it really strikes me as this is would be a major asset to to the education. I mean, the, the possibilities for it, uh, in particular for something like math, I think is is pretty uh, staggering. Oh, com completely. So you you think about um, uh, something like um, a simultaneous equation. So this is where you have two equations uh, that are written um, above each other or below each other um and then you have to try and uh solve that um now you can go backwards and forwards on a on a single line braille display or you can have it in hard copy hard copy um but can you you know potentially you could have files and files of of um you know math braille um exercises that have already been created those files are already created um and and we could put those files onto can you and you could show uh, things like simultaneous equations, things like um, Pascal's triangle, which is an infinite series that's used throughout um, maths, where you have a, a value and then there are two values on the next line and then there are uh, more and, and it gets wider as it, as it goes down. And you could show that if you've got multiple lines of Braille. That doesn't make sense on a, on a single line display. You, you know, you imagine um, something like oh, I don't know, um, uh, a number square, like a magic square or a Sudoku, um, right. where you need to do addition in different directions. Um, how about um, learning about place value, where you're doing like long addition, um, you know, or mu long multiplication and things like that. So um, there are lots of use cases uh, for, for maths and also coding. You know, you could see a whole function. If you've got, you know, multiple lines, you can see a whole function in a, in a computer uh, program or in a script and you could see how a variable uh, where it is as it goes through and um, you could do a you know dry run of that um, so you could use can you in the education of uh, coding um, and another example that we're looking at is um, is music 
Um, and mm. if you've got some piano music, you might have the left hand part and the right hand part, and you want to see the relationship between those. What's the right hand doing while the left hand's doing this? You know, and if you can show uh, those lines above each other, then then um, right. you know that's potentially quite powerful. Similarly, with um, uh, a lyric and accompaniment, so you could have a vocal uh, line, and then you might also have a the, the accompaniment, and you can see, okay, this is where. This is how these words fit to these notes in this in this song. So, um, that the, those multi-line uh, applications, I think, as, uh, at the moment, are still restricted to uh, to paper. And you need an embosser, um, and you need somebody. Uh, well, you need to to to. And of course, as we know, hard copy um, doesn't last forever. You know, it wears out. Um, right. you, you know, we've all had uh, you know braille books where it felt like somebody sat on it <laughs> yeah that's right it just occurred to me that you've created the world's first braille karaoke machine <laughs> yes well <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't play audio at the moment but um i will certainly uh, mention that version two version two <laughs> version two yeah. yeah just say no to karaoke oh jeez, it's fantastic <laughs> no it's Don't do it kids <laughs> Very exciting stuff. No, I'm just, I'm really pumped to see this at CSUN. I'm going to be down there. I'll, I'll definitely be looking for you. Brilliant. Oh. Well, do. Um, we have a presentation. Uh, we're on Wednesday afternoon, I think around four o'clock. Um, and we're in the program. I want to say Seaport, but um, I know I'm going to get that wrong. So, so, so do look up um, the Bristol Braille in the in the program. As I say we're Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock. Um, and if if people can't make that time, uh, get in contact. And we we're going to be there from from Monday evening onwards, uh, right the way through to the following Sunday. So so there's plenty of time uh, to catch up. We've already got some some meetings in in the diary. Um, we're, we're keen to meet people, keen to, to, to do demonstrations, collect feedback, um, more than happy to do that. So yeah. uh, for anybody who, who might be interested in, in the Canute, uh, I don't know if you guys are taking pre-orders yet or if they just want more information, uh, how can they find that and how can they contact you? Okay, so uh, you can find out more information about uh, Canute at Bristol Braille uh, Technology um, and uh, if you put that into any search engine, you will find um, uh, more about the Canute and you'll find our, our website. But if you would like to contact me directly, if you're coming to CSUN and you would like a demonstration in person, uh, then uh, just drop me a line, dave at braillists.org. And braillists is B-R-A-I-L-L-I-S-T-S dot org. And we'll, of course, uh, you know, we'll include a link to, to Bristol Braille and uh, the Canute product page uh, in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Dave. Thanks so much for taking some time out and uh, and chatting with us. Uh, it, I, we're excited. This is this sounds like it's it's going to be a real leap forward in terms of uh, of getting some some more Braille devices out there that that can really have a have a real positive impact on Braille literacy. So it's very exciting. Well, I hope so. And, and uh, you know, I, I want, uh, you know, the blind kids of the future to have all the same opportunities that I had in, in terms of, uh, of Braille. And uh, I think Canute has a, has a role to play. And it's exciting to be having conversations about multi-line Braille and about things that we can do with that. Uh, so, yeah, we just want people to, 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 if you are at CSUN, come along. If you're not, drop us a line anyway. Um, you know, we want to talk to uh, Canadians about uh, how we... Uh, bring Canute to Canada as well. So 
um, do do get in touch. Sounds good. All right, perfect, Dave. Okay, we can't let you go yet though, because there is one burning question. Oh, okay. You mentioned that you're from Worcester. Oh yeah. Now Worcester produces that very famous sauce. That's right. What is the correct way of saying <laughs> the name of that sauce? It is Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> No, I still can't pronounce right. Worcestershire. So, no, so, so nobody in Worcester <laughs> says Worcestershire. Um, now, if you live in the States, you probably would say Worcestershire. Um, but um, it's Worcester or Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire sauce. Okay, you right. have it. Perfect. It's an 18 and, 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 and it's great on cheese on toast. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Just try that. <laughs> all right dave thanks so much for uh for talking to us and uh we uh, well steve we'll see you see you at csun i look forward to it steve all righty all right take all care right. dave thanks take guys care. thank you i can't say that either forget it i can't even say google <laughs> no, i'm not gonna be able to, not be able to navigate that <laughs> can you imagine you had to say that okay Worcestershire. <laughs> <laughs> Worcestershire. Um, wow, that's that's super exciting. Are you are you I, jazzed? I, know. I, can you... I, I am because I finally know how to pronounce the name of that. No, song. not about, <laughs> oh, that, about the oh, canoe. The canoe. Oh yeah, yeah. The canoe's pretty cool too. Well, I think you know, like Steve <laughs> said, for education, once the math support gets in, included into that device, you know, it'll be the only device that is multi-line that will actually allow you to see how an equation is laid out on a page. Yeah, yeah. but not only that, it's the price point is is the real major difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, you're here you have a device that's a multi-line device that can you know, uh, what a 32 gig SD card can hold what? I don't that's know. thousands of pages thousands, of Braille. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hundreds of books on it. Uh, you know, you could have a kid that, you know, his all, all his textbooks and everything are all right there on the device. Mm -hmm. Um Potentially. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yep. Yeah, for academic Braille readers, this is going to be just phenomenal. Which is which is what's really important right now. I mean, Braille literacy, it's it's a hot topic right now. And uh, Well, it is. And, I mean, here in British Columbia, our biggest problem is having teachers who can, who can teach it and having them have enough time to teach it. Because none of the school districts want to have full-time teachers they're all being given these these part-time contracts so you know you might have a, a 0.4 you know they're, they're basically you know 40 percent of a work week in a district and you know depending on how many students they have to deal with um, that's not a lot of time and the education system really doesn't recognize the value of having those teachers spending the time necessary to really build literacy skills. So it's a, you know, there's some systemic problems there to begin with. And then, you know, the technology is expensive. Yes. So this can at least deal with the, the technology side of things while providing, you know, a very robust reading um, solution and uh, potentially more. Yeah, and man, I love stuff that's open source. I love me some open source stuff because it really adds, I feel like it adds to the life of the unit because you're going to get some 16-year-old in a basement somewhere that's going to write a killer app. Mm -hmm. 
um, for for the device that will make it will push it to do something different that the developers didn't even think of, guaranteed. Yeah, well, you know, Ryan's immediately going to go out and uh, try and fund somebody to do an interface for uh, the uh, described video on Pornhub, right? <laughs> yeah, I was, <laughs> well, multi-line, you could actually have it, you know, print out a Playboy, right? <laughs> Get the shape. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, well, you'll have to keep us posted then. You'll have to give us a full report when you get back from CSUN uh, the week after next. Yeah, absolutely. Egg, exciting stuff. Indeed. Um, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Well, they can find us bum, ba, da, bum, bum, now on TuneIn and Spotify. Ooh. Mm. Or they can find us online at www.atbanter.com. Uh, they can also drop us a line if they would so, or they can also drop us a line if they like, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And you should also be out there looking for us on the Facebooks and the Twitters because we're out there. We are indeed. And uh, if you like the show, make sure you hit the big like button on iTunes because that always helps us out. Um, what else? Oh, hey. Steve, yeah. where can people find Canadian Assistive Technology? Well, Canadian Assistive Technology can be found at www.canastech.com. Look for a sweet website redesign coming soon. <laughs> really? Yep. Uh, they can also find Rick Chant somewhere. Where can they find Rick Chant and what does Rick Chant do? Rick Chant is the proprietor of Chaos Technical Services, where you can get pretty much any assistive technology fixed and uh, he can be found at www.chaostechnicalservices.com and that's chaos c-h-a-o-s technicalservices.com if you can't spell technical services i i can't help you dictionary.com there you go all right oh, sorry, well, you probably can't spell dictionary either. <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> Just ask for help. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Ask Google to spell dictionary. That's right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us. Oh, it's not even 10 o'clock yet. Yes. Good for us for getting up early. Yeah, good for us. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> no more UK guests for a while there, Brian. <laughs> Stick to our own time zone. Yeah, yeah why can't you find us a late night talk show host in the UK or something? Yeah, yeah. there you go. You would have been up working at nine anyway. I so. know, but I had to get up and get on the train. <laughs> Anyways, all right. That's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Oh. Wait for it. Wait for it. There we go. Oh, now, now the show's complete. All right, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.